Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Luke chapter 5. And for those who weren't here Sunday, we did an online message, and I'm kind of reviewing a little bit of that, kind of staying in that same zone there about the new wine. 33, then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours, speaking of Jesus' disciples, they're not fasting. It seems like they're having a great time. Well, I'm just here to tell you that when you have a great time, or when the presence of God is here, you can have a great time. God's presence comes so that we can have a great time. You know, they're having a great time in the presence of God. You know, and, and those who, unfortunately, and maybe really did have a heart for God and only knew how to serve God, according to the law, or according to religious traditions, they couldn't understand. Now, you know, how come you guys are saying you're serving God and you're having so much fun? Well, I, I, I want to have fun. I like fun. In fact, I found out that God was the inventor of fun. He was the original fun maker. And he wants us to have fun. And he wants us to enjoy his presence. So Jesus answered them by saying, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? I want you to understand something. How many of you have ever been to a wedding and it's a really nice wedding and you know there's going to be a really nice reception afterwards and there's going to be some really good food served? Huh? Anybody ever been to a wedding like that? You know? You know, they're, they're, you know, you're like, wow, I'm going to get to go to this wedding, and boy, it's going to be wonderful, and there's going to be some good food after that. Well, we're celebrating. What, what, what are we celebrating here? Well, what is a wedding? A wedding is a covenant. And so Jesus is saying to them, he's saying, why shouldn't they enjoy and let's have a feast about this covenant that I came down to establish for them, for you. And see, according to tradition, they fasted because it was forged in personal works to prove, they felt like they had to fast to prove to God that they were loyal or they were committed or they were sincere. And they were hoping that the fast would move the hand of God or create some type of favor on their lives. And also they fasted for the reason to cover up or to patch up their mistakes. And the reason why I'm using the word patch is you'll see that in just a minute here. But to cover up or to patch up or, or to refill. But you know, God didn't come to patch 
Jesus didn't come to cover it up. He came to redeem and to reconcile us back to God. And that's why when we focus on 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. He is a new original. You're not patched. The blood didn't cover you. The blood of Jesus Christ redeemed you and made you back into your original form. Well, not only did the blood recreate you back into your original form or the way God intended for you to be, but he also filled you with his spirit, his presence, and his ability so that you can walk in your reconciled, redeemed life. And so we see Jesus trying to explain that here in these next scriptures. He said, first of all, he said, why should he fast? Why should they fast? We're having a feast. We're celebrating a covenant. Now, whenever we begin to develop this relationship with God, John 3, 16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's natural for many of us to begin to think that everlasting life means that, you know, we'll go to heaven. Well, that's part of it. But that's not the whole purpose that Jesus came. The whole purpose of Jesus came was to reconcile us into having a relationship with our Father. So John 17, 3 says this is everlasting life, and that is to know the one and the true God. That's everlasting life. So this is the whole purpose. You know, we like to ask this question, are you born again? Well, that's only used once in the Bible, you know. We like to ask people, you know, have you given your life to Jesus you know, and it's hard for some people to really understand that terminology. I think it's a little easier for them to understand, you know, have you prayed the prayer of salvation, of accepting Christ, or something like that. But it's hard for some people to understand that. But, you know, God sent his son down here so that we could be restored back to him. Now, many of you know that when I married Vicki, she had two children. And uh, our son, and I call him my son, uh, I, don't, I don't put the step in there, even though biologically and I guess technically he's my stepson, but I don't ever put that in there. I call him my son. And so when I got married and Vicki and I made a covenant, it gave access, it gave my son access to everything that I have. So, well, you know, he's just your stepson. No, he's my son. But here's the thing. I see him as my son. I don't see him as anything else. I see him as, you know, my son and, and my grandchildren. We laugh and they're starting to get a little older and they're starting to understand, you know, learning in school about 
genetics and genes and, you know, and we laugh and I say, yeah, you look just like me and they're starting to figure that out. They say, well, that's not possible, but it does kind of look that way, doesn't it? And, you know, and for sure you can tell you're my grandson. You can certainly tell Jason's my son because he has the same anointing that I do to tell jokes. (laughs) And so anyway, but here's the thing. I can see him all day long as my son, but it's not until he sees himself as my son that he's going to access to all that I have for him. And this is what God wants for you. He wants you to access all that he has because he sees you as his son. And so the Pharisees, they're running around. They don't see themselves as sons of God. They don't see themselves connected to God. So they're fasting and they're, they're, they're trying to do everything they can, you know, by tradition and some, some you know, uh, uh, religious ceremonies to get God to move. And Jesus said, you know what? He, I'm here. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Now, as a New Testament believer, I believe in fasting, but I believe in the Isaiah fast that talks about this fast is to break the bonds of wickedness. I believe there's a time that we should fast, you know, and I'm not one who thinks that people ought to go on a 40-day fast. There's only two people who went on a 40-day fast, and that 40-day fast, at the end of it, transitioned their lives, okay? And that was a supernatural fast. Moses, Moses came out of the mountain. He was transitioned into a different purpose and calling. Jesus was led into the Spirit are led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he fasted 40 days. And then when he came out, he was empowered, transitioned by the Holy Spirit. You know, so I'm not a firm believer on long fast, you know, but I do believe in fasting. And so anyway, with that being said, you know, and I'm not saying that people who, who fast long, they're wrong or whatever, and I'm not saying God doesn't tell people to go on long fast, but I'm just saying this, you know, when you begin to fast and go after God in that particular area, you need to hear from God on your fast. Secondly, you know, uh, we always put fasting in the element of food, you know, and I understand, I understand the concept of that, but you know, some people, their, their bodies their metabolism can't fast long. Like my wife, she can't fast long, okay? But she can fast other ways. And so you need to hear from God when you, when you go on a fast here. But anyway, they were fasting and they were praying and they were feeling, you know, kind of down and out and felt like, you know, what is going on here? How come, you know, your guys aren't fasting? And Jesus said, because we're establishing a new covenant here. We're celebrating the goodness of God. And then he went on and said, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. So again, there is fasting for the New Testament believer. But then he spoke this parable to them and there's a real purpose why he spoke this parable to them. No one puts a piece 
from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and the also, also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, new, But new wine must be put in new wineskins, and both are preserved, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires a new, for he says the old is better. So, Jesus is now beginning to explain some things. He said, look, your fasting is about patching. You see that? About covering up. And he gave that parable because you can't take a new piece of material. And when he was talking about new, he was talking about something that just came right out of the fabric store. Not, not, not something that's been sitting around or, or something that's been washed once. This is brand new. I mean, it just came off the weaver's beam. I mean, it's a brand new piece of material. And when you put that on the old, first of all, it's not going to match. You know, when we did some of the remodeling here, some of the carpet got stained, and we didn't quite have enough, you know, to replace it with. And so I said, Excuse me, I said, let's buy some, some new stuff. And they said, well, it's a, it's a different dye. It's a different weave. It won't match. I said, it won't matter. <laughs> you know, but in this situation, it, it really didn't. But that's true about material. It, it won't match. It won't ever match. You know, you always know. You know, and so it covers up something there. And then secondly, when you do wash it, well, it will shrink up. And so now you got this patch, and now it's shrinking up the old that's already been shrunk, and it looks funny. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I grew so fast, my mom tried to, you know, uh, just stretch out as long as she could the, the pants and the jeans that she bought at the first of the school year, you know, so I could wear them all the way through the end of the school year. And, and of course, you know, I'd slide on my knees and have big holes in my knees, and She'd go out and get these iron-on patches. And, uh, you know, we'd iron them on, you know, and, oh, they look good for a while. We all had them. All the kids had them, you know. But, you know, after the first or second washing, they were already peeling off, you know. But at least she got to extend it out until the end of the school year. And then she cut them off and made shorts for me for the summer. So, anyway, that's, that's how we, we grew up. But, you know, that, that patch... You know, after the first washing, boy, it looked good at first. I mean, I'm telling you, it really looked good. I remember one time I asked my mom. My mom was an excellent seamstress. And I asked her to sew around the edges, and she did. But, boy, as soon as it was in the washer, it came out of the dryer. I mean, it was all wrinkled up around there, you know. And, and of course, back then, you know, the fringes weren't in style. They, that was an embarrassment to have fringes, you know. Now it's part of the style, I guess, you know, and, and uh, so anyway, but we didn't want fringes, you know, and my problem with the fringes is I kept on picking at them and picking at them and picking at them until I didn't have hardly anything on my leg anymore, you know. But anyway, um, so this patch would cover up, but it wouldn't last very long. And that's why Jesus made that, that statement. But then he went on to make this statement. He says, no one puts new wine in old wineskins or else the wine will burst and the wine skin, the wine, uh, the, 
um, the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, I, you know, would think that if you put new wine in an old wineskin and it bursts, I would be sad because the wine's ruined. But see, Jesus wasn't as concerned about the wine as as much as he was the wineskin representing you and me. He was like, I don't want you to get ruined because if I put a new thing in you and you don't have the desire to change, it's going to blow you up. It's going to burst on the inside of you. Now, here's the thing about wine, you know, and, and I can't say that I'm an expert at this, but I do know a few things about it. And that is that wine is not fermented when it first starts. The sugar in the wine causes it to ferment. Well, the longer, is my understanding, the longer it ferments, the, the stronger it gets, okay? So, in other words, it's intended to grow or to expand. That's the whole purpose of wine. Well, just like the Holy Spirit, once it's deposited in you, it's intended to expand, it's intended to increase. And what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is ever increasing. Isn't that what the word says? Sure it does. It's ever increasing. Where is the kingdom of God? So in order for the kingdom of God or the anointing or the new wine to increase in our lives, Guess what we need to do to allow it to increase? We need to change. We need to have new wineskins. Now, I seriously doubt that when you go to bed tonight and you look in the mirror and you wake up tomorrow that you'll be a different person. But it's not about your physical attribute as much as it is about who you really are that changes. And God's intentional purpose that I want to fill you with, that I want to baptize you in this year at Family Worship Center. But you know what? You need to do what you need to do for God to expand that on the inside of you. And one of the things that our old wineskin represents is our past. Our past. And God wants us to go into the new year with no remnant of the past. No resentment of the past. No disappointments or whatever else the past, you know, uh, brings to us. And so the bridegroom here, he, he's making a feast for them, and then it's something that Psalms 23, 5 says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, folks, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience heaven. God wants us to experience heaven on earth. He wants us to experience. He wants us to, he wants us to see ourselves as he sees ourselves. He wants us as sons of God to be able to access, know that we can access all that he has for us. That's what he wants for you. Just like our son. He has to see that because of the covenant I made with Vicky 
it gave him now access to everything that I have. You know, I'm sure, you know, I haven't thought too much about it. I mean, I got another almost 60 years to think about it, but I'm sure he thinks about, wonder what I'm going to get my inheritance. And you know what? He knows that he's getting nothing. Because the Bible says a good man lays up treasures for his children's children. But he knows, he knows that, you know, we're, we're wanting to do things for him and his family. But, you know, he's not chomping at the bits for it or anything. I, I don't think he is. But anyway, he hasn't put any poison in my drink or anything. But anyway, but no, he knows that that's what we're going to let him. But, but you know what? He can have access to some of the things that we have now. And he knows that. Why? Because of a covenant. And this is where God wants us to, he, and he, has to have, he had to have a, a, a mindset change. He had to have a, 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 a total mindset, especially in his situation, because his father was alive when we got married, and his father has since passed. But, you know, he had to have a mindset that, hey, I've got access to somebody who's received me into his life. And this is what God wants you to have. And you, know, you, you have to have that new mindset or that new wine skin so that you can receive and let that spirit, let that information, let that revelation knowledge that's on the inside of you to begin to expand. And if you can't have a change, then the expansion can end up, you know, doing more harm maybe than good for you. And this is what Jesus was saying here. He's saying, you have to have new wine, I mean, new wineskin. And so one of the things the Lord spoke to me about this year is to challenge the people, to let go of everything of the past. And when the Bible says that he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies, we don't, our enemies aren't in heaven. Our enemies are here on this earth. And some of our enemies aren't just demonic attacks or demonic influences that try to come against us, and I don't minimize that. Those things do happen. But sometimes our works is our enemy. We think that we have to do certain works for God to bless us, and that's an enemy of God. Sometimes our performance is our enemy. We don't feel like we're good enough or we're qualified enough. Our self-righteousness is an enemy to be able to receive from God. Condemnation is a major enemy for a lot of us from being able to receive from God. Offenses is a major enemy for us to be able to receive from God. And then also disappointments. And this is where I'm going to go this evening a little bit. We're going to deal with disappointments. I know I shared this Sunday I don't know how many of you how many of you watched on Sunday. Let me see your hand. Thank you very much. But you know, overcoming disappointments is probably a major challenge for a lot of people. A lot of people don't overcome disappointments. They don't realize how much of a stronghold the disappointments had in their lives. But in order for us to overcome disappointments, we really need to know what a disappointment is. And, 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 and a true disappointment is an appointment and an appointment that hasn't been fulfilled. Okay? There's a, 
there's an appointment. There's a purpose that God has for your life. There's a, there's a plan that God has for your life, okay? So you make an appointment, let's just say, to go get your car fixed or maintenance or something. And you get there, and the dealership is closed. You know, well, you had an appointment. You don't know why the dealership's closed, but it's closed. And now that appointment wasn't fulfilled. So that's a disappointment, okay? It's a separation from your appointment. And most of us are learning, and we need to get this revelation that as sons of God, we have access to everything that God has for us. Because of not having that revelation, we don't always fulfill or receive all of God's appointments for our lives. This is what God wants us to have. He wants us to have all of those appointments. He, he spoke to us this morning. And this is going to be an, a year of intentional purpose poured into your life. He has a plan, and he said, this year, I'm going to, get, I'm going to, I'm going to unload it on you. I'm going to intentionally bring to pass my plans and my purpose. What did Esther say? For such a time as this, I was born. born. In other words, she knew her God appointment, didn't she? And God doesn't want us to, us to miss this powerful, incredible appointment that he has for each and every one of us. But we need to, first of all, recognize disappointments in the past because any disappointment of the past puts a wrong mindset in us not to use faith for God, God's appointments for our lives. So let me give you an example of that. When we first started the church, and sometimes this still happens, and if you've ever said this, please don't think I'm referring to you. But, you know, we had people come in. We had this one uh, guy come in, and he said, Pastor, he said, man, he said, I've got this settlement going on. He says, it's a large settlement. He said, well, you agree with me that this settlement's going to come to pass, and I'm going to get this large sum amount of money. And he said, do you know what kind of tithe I'm going to bring in? You know, oh, you're starting a new church, and, you know, you're hopeful. Like, well, okay, that'd be great, boy. It'd be great for a new church to have, you know, a tithe of some type of $1.5 million settlement. You know, I mean, hey, I mean, not very many churches start with, you know, 100, you know, or 15, whatever that turns out to be, 100,000, you know, five, whatever it is. You know, not very many churches get to start out with that. So I'm, oh, I'm praying, I'm agreeing. And sure enough, the settlement came in. It wasn't that big. Sure enough, the settlement came in, and I never saw the person again, you know. And that's happened more than once, and a lot of us pastors and other, some field ministries, we've heard that story. Boy, when I get this, I'm going to bless the church. I got this business going, and I'm going to really bless the church. And, you know, and I'm sure their hearts are in the right place, but those disappointments, what I found out about me and my situation is that the next time somebody came and said, Pastor, will you pray for me because I got this big business deal coming? You know, the disappointment doesn't really allow me to use my faith. You see what I'm saying? Because of that mindset. And that's what disappointments do. They cause a mindset in you that will say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And this is why it's so important that we challenge the disappointments of last year or whatever years are behind you and make sure that they're no longer in us or they're not a part of our wine skin 
So when God says, I have a divine appointment for you, and you go, whoa, wow. But because of these other, other disappointments in your life, you already have a mindset of, well, I'm just not sure God... I had, a man, I just really thought this was going to happen. It didn't happen. And, you know, you have to really challenge your mindset in the area of overcoming disappointments. Well, the other thing that disappointments do is they separate you from your God-given appointment. They separate you from your God-given appointment. And so one of the things that I saw in the Word of God years ago I'd gone through uh, uh, some disappointments in my life, and uh, the Lord visited me. And I mean, it was, it was a challenging time, you know. I was questioning, you know, um, you know, what is God's purpose for my life? Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Should I even continue going forward? I couldn't even really hear clearly from God, couldn't, certainly couldn't see from God, didn't have any idea of what direction to go because of these disappointments just stacked up on each other, one after another after another. And I had a visitation from the Lord. The Lord just, I mean, the, the, the presence of God, I was sitting there, and the presence of God just came into the room, and I recognized it. And in order for me to tell this story, I need to just kind of give you a little bit of a background because God knows me. And many times, and I shared this when I was a singles minister, I would always tell people, failure is not a person, failure is an event. And God's a champion at making champions out of failures. Many of you have heard me say that, but I, I got that from the Spirit of God when I was ministering to singles. And so I'm sitting in the presence of God comes in, and this is what he says to me. He said, you know how you always say failure is not a person, but failure is an event? I mean, I'm hearing clearly. I mean, his presence is there. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have been any, I couldn't have been any greater if Jesus had manifested himself to me. That's how strong the presence was. I was and, and so I go, yes, sir. You know, I'm honoring the Lord. Yes, sir. I, I know how I say that. He said, well, disappointment's not a person either. It's an event. And he said, what did my son do when he was tempted with a disappointment, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about there in Matthew 16, after Peter had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when Peter got that revelation, and isn't that something that as soon as Peter got the revelation and all the other disciples agreed with Peter, then he began to tell them that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He couldn't tell them that until they got the revelation. You see, he couldn't expand their, te their understanding. And Peter took him aside, the Bible says, and began to rebuke him. And you know what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me. What was Peter's temptation to the Lord? His temptation was to create or to stop a God-given appointment. It was God's plan all along for Jesus to go to the cross, wasn't it? And Peter thought that that wasn't a good plan. And Jesus went on to say this about the disappointment. He said, get behind me, Satan, for your offense to me. He said, Peter, he said, you are mindful of the things of this world. Basically is what he said. And not the things of God. In other words, Peter, you're distracted. You're, you're, you, you're not in the spirit, Peter. You were just a few minutes ago, but you're not now. 
You're letting your mindset, Peter, try to determine an outcome. And you need to have the mindset of God. And this is the mindset of God, Peter, for me to go to the cross. And you need to understand that. And so when the Lord was visiting me and showing me all these things, he said this to me. He said, if you'll rise up and repent for calling people disappointments and command the disappointment to get behind you, you will begin to see clearly the plans and the purposes I have for your life. And so I had this visitation, and, you know, uh, as soon as I got my act together, I went out and told my wife, I said, I was just visited by God, and this is what he told me. And I said, and, and she, she, and we commanded those disappointments to get behind us, and I want to tell you, it was like, you know, you ever drive down the road, you know, and it's foggy? And then all of a sudden, it's foggy one minute, but then all of a sudden, it's like clear, bam, just like that. Well, that's the way it was in my vision, my spiritual vision. It was like everything was cloudy and foggy. And I'm telling you, as soon as I followed through with what God spoke to me to do, it was like, bam. And you know what? I've been able to see clearly ever since. Because the disappointments will cloud your vision. Disappointment will cloud your vision. Now, I just got this concept when I was sharing this uh, this last Sunday, and many of you know that I'm a pilot. And one of the things that we need to know as a pilot, we need to have a, a keen understanding of weather. Well, fog is a result of the dew point. You ever hear the weatherman say the dew point is? Fog is a result of the dew point where the, where the air is saturated at this point, at this temperature. So if the temperature reaches the dew point, you have fog. And so when I decipher some of the weather, the first thing I look for is I look to see if they're, how close together is the dew point and the actual temperature of the airport I'm going to arrive in because I don't want to have to fly into an airport that has fog because, number one, it's illegal, and number two, it's dangerous. Okay, I mean, you can't land a plane when you can't see the airport, right? You know, so, but not only do we have those temperatures given to us, but in another uh, terminology, they don't give us just the temperature of maybe, you know, the dew point is four degrees. Uh, I'll use Fahrenheit here for you. Maybe the dew point is 45 degrees, but the temperature is 52 and so I look at it, and I ask myself this question, okay, are we having, you know, warmer weather come in or colder weather come in? So I have to ask myself that question. And so anyway, but when it comes right down to it, they even tell us the dew points in decimals, 45.85 degrees, 51.75 degrees, Okay. Because all it takes is 0 0.01 degree change for the fog to lift. That's why it happens just like that. Well, how much does it take of God just to raise the temperature? Come on, somebody. 
in the house or in your life by a point zero one degree. I mean, that's not a whole lot. I mean, wow, think about it. That's not a whole lot of change. You say, what's that have to do with the message? Well, how much change does it take for you to hold the new wine skin? Not a whole lot. I mean, the new wine. How much change in your wine skin does it take for you to hold the new wine? Not a whole lot. Just here a little and there a little. For God to begin to pour out his spirit in your life. You know, and one of the things that, you know, the Lord began to show me, he said, one of the things that we need to be encouraged to do that coming in this next year is just to make sure that our past, which is tied into the old wineskin of our lives, that we don't bring it into the future. Because God is intentionally pouring in new wine in your lives this year. Purposefully. And we need to be ready. And we need to go into the new year, whatever it may be, offenses, condemnation, disappointments, discouragements, setbacks, whatever. And we need to really cry out to God and take time to say, Lord, if there's anything that is causing me to have an old wineskin, help me to identify it and remove it so it's the new wine that I can experience in 2022. And this is what God's challenged us to share with you for the next couple of weeks. It's the new wine. It's the new move of God. Forget the former things, for behold, I'll do a new thing in you. Shall you not know it? Oh, absolutely, you'll know it. Shall it not spring up? You know, this new thing is so powerful, it will make the crooked way straight. This, this thing is so powerful that if you need, he, he'll put rivers in the desert. It, it, it's a time, this new thing is a time of, of not just a refreshing but we're going to experience the miraculous recreating or creating of God's miracles in our lives. I mean, a, a river in the desert is pretty miraculous, don't you think? I think so. And this is, this is how powerful this new thing God's doing in you and me. So are you ready to embrace 2022? Man, I'm ready. Happy New Year. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.